Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. I was going to share this with you. So we're, studying, we're starting the study on the book of Corinth, right? Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and uh, related to the city of Corinth. And I have up here a book, and uh, the church bought a little stack of these here, because I don't know if anybody's going to be interested or not. I think they were like $13 a book, but um, uh, you know, if you don't have $13 or if you just have $10 or whatever, you'd like to donate towards this, you can just drop it in the box back there. But if you wanted one of these... Here's why I'm, I'm, I don't normally promote books, but I thought this would be interesting. Um, do you guys remember the uh, guy that I referenced all through the book of Acts with the really big, thick commentary? Anybody remember his name? No? I thought somebody would remember. Ben Witherington III. Do you remember that now? Uh, every time I brought him up? Okay, so uh, I've done some research on this guy. I mean, he, his, his stuff is so interesting because it's just, I mean, but it's so much. So this book is written as a story. So it's a story. It's written by Ben Witherington, but it's called A Week in the Life of Corinth. Now, because I know the guy, I know that what you're going to get and his purpose in writing this was to give you an idea of what it would be like to live in the city of Corinth. So he has a fictional character, but in the book, you get to meet like Paulus shows up, right, Paul? Um, you get to meet um, Priscilla and Aquila. Do you remember them? Uh, so there's some characters that you would know in there, but his goal was to let you see what it would be like to be in this city at this time period. So I thought it might be interesting to just go along with whatever we're studying. This might be an interesting book. So if you're interested in one of these afterwards, please come up here, uh, grab one. I've got uh, several up here already, but uh, if we run out, we can always get some more. But uh, if you're interested in doing this, and then I thought maybe even on Wednesday nights, um, we can take a look at, you know, just a little bit at a time. We'll, we'll take a look at it and just kind of do, like, the chapters are like three or four pages long. Uh, so it's a nice, short, easy book. But um, I think it'd be interesting. So I just wanted to mention that. That's what these are up here for. So if you're interested in one of those afterwards, feel free. Come up here. Grab one of those. Um, <clears throat> now, as I get into this, by the way, I wanted to say thank you for all of you that are here. We're obviously missing a lot of sick people today. Um, uh, but as we get into this, we're, we're jumping into 1 Corinthians. We started last week. We're going to jump into the rest of the first chapter. I want to take a moment and pray. And the reason why I want to do that today is because, but not that I wouldn't always want to do that, but I want to do that specifically for this purpose. What I'm going to talk about in Corinthians today is about unity. Unity, though, and what we're going to talk about, I have had this fear as I've gone through this this week, this study, this could be, as you're talking about unity, and this is going to sound weird, this could be kind of divisive, okay? And I think you'll see why that could happen in a little bit. But I wanted to pray that God would give me the wisdom as we're going through here, because I was even this morning on the way over here, and then even just a little while ago after Sunday school, I was rewriting some of the things that I had in here, because I, I kept thinking, well, wait a minute, this might go better here, this, because I, I'm just formulating still exactly what God would have me to say. So I'm praying that God will give me the wisdom to know as I'm working through here to, that the end result will be exactly what God wants us to hear. Okay, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you uh, for this day. I thank you for those that were able to make it this morning. Um, Lord, I thank you that uh, you're keeping us healthy enough to be here. I do pray for those that aren't able to be here this morning because of health reasons. God, I ask that you'd help them to get better soon. 
Uh, Lord, protect them. Um, Lord, help them to recover quickly. Lord, I do pray that you be with us this morning as we talk about your word and we talk about 1 Corinthians and, and uh, the issues that that church was having and Paul's uh, teaching to them. God, help us to see its relevance for us as well today. In your name I pray, amen. All right, I want to start with a word, patronage, okay? Patronage, and I, this is the definition I pulled off of Wikipedia for you, okay? Patronage is the support, encouragement, privilege, or financial aid that an organization or individual bestows to another. So you might hear this word sometimes like a patron of the arts, right? So that might be somebody who financially supports the arts. Um, sometimes we see this concept pulling together when we have, uh, for example, say you have a cause or something that's worthy and you want to get the word out. What, what do people do? Sometimes they want to get a celebrity attached to it. So it may not even be financial, it may just be vocal patronage, Okay. One of the commentaries I was reading was talking about this concept and what's going to happen today, and I hope that you're going to see the connection here. Stephen Um, and his, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, it's U-M, he adds to this definition coming from the other side of it. And he says this, patronage is an attempt at, now I'm going to explain this, so if I'm doing some word and you're like, what? It's okay. Patronizing is, is an attempt at self-validation by means of another person's success and status. What? Okay, I'll give you an example. I've heard pastors say this before. I'll, I'll, I'll attack the pastors first, right? I've heard pastors say this before. When I went to such and such a university and studied under the great doctor so-and-so. Have you ever heard something like that before? The great, yeah. I, I went to this place. That's the concept. So, so you're attaching, right? You're, you're, you're validating yourself by attaching it to the means of another person's success. So you're using this name to, to, to validate yourself. I've seen this as well and on a smaller scale with books that come out or certain authors. I, and I've done this. If you're reading a certain set of authors, or you're listening to a certain pastor, sometimes you'll, you'll start to talk, you're, you're talking with somebody about something, and, and what do you do? Sometimes you'll, you'll latch on to whatever you're saying, you'll latch it on to, like hitch it on to a, a name that people might know. And what are you doing in the process of doing that? You're saying, I'm with them. You see, you see how that works? We see this in other places. I think that uh, these types of things where we attach ourselves, and I want you to know as we go through here, the, the idea is, is not altogether wrong. To attach ourselves onto things that are bigger than us isn't a horrible thing, but it's a, it's a phenomenon that I think we all face. And remember earlier when I said talking about unity, it might feel divisive? I'll give you another one. How about politics? Right? What do people often do? We attach ourselves onto... Maybe it's a candidate. Maybe it's a cause. Maybe it's something. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a specific political party. Maybe it's just a, a, a thing that's going on. I'm with this. Could be school affiliations. Like I mentioned earlier with pastors, this all ha also happens in the educational realm. I went to this university. This is where I studied. Um, it can happen, and this may sound weird, I think it can even happen with sports. Somebody isn't necessarily 
an athlete themselves. They got, they got their U of I shirt on, their U of I flag in the, the yard. They got their U of I this, U of I that. They're wearing their orange proud and they're out there, you know. And, and what, but, but think about what's, what's happening. They're, they're, they're attaching, they're, they're, they're grabbing some of their own identity from something bigger than them. And that's their thing. They are a U of I fan. And they even feel when U of I is doing great, they're even doing, they're doing better. And, and with their friends, they're like, ah, oh, my team is beating your team. Yeah. You ever see that happen? I think this can happen with lifestyles or hobbies. Um, people attach themselves. This is what they're known for. When I taught at Georgetown, I had some kids that, man, they wanted you to know that hunting was their thing. Denise is smiling. <laughs> right? That's the thing. I, I had kids that, man, every day, camo, right? Camo pants, camo jacket, camo t-shirt. I'm going... You know, of course, as a teacher, I, I would many times like to, you know, do the, what, I, where are you? Oh, oh, yeah, you were blending into the, you know, obviously that wasn't working at school. It's their thing. Now, I'm hoping in my head that you're starting to think of things that might be your thing as we're going. It might be things that you attach yourself to. I even think this happens with um, diets. Anybody heard of the keto diet? <laughs> That's a thing, isn't it? You know, what's amazing about these things is people will find this thing and they attach themselves to it and they even become, like Stephen Um said, they become fierce evangelists of their thing. Oh, the keto diet, this is the way to go. And every time you're around that person, that they found their thing. And that's all you hear about. How about this one? I hope I don't step on any toes here. How about essential oils? <laughs> right? Every problem you have, I got an oil for that. You know, I got it. it'll, it'll fix you, right? And it might be right. I don't know. But it's a, it's a thing. They're latching on to this thing that's bigger. Patronage was a big thing in Corinth. We actually know this historically. There's writings that talk about what was going on in Corinth. And one of the big things in Corinth, one of their things that they would quite often latch onto were orators. I've talked about this before in Acts. Wasn't there someone who was an eloquent speaker that visited Corinth after Paul? Do you remember who that was? Apollos, right? Apollos. Was, but, but this was the thing. Uh, apart from church and Christianity, this was a thing in Corinth. There are historians that talk about the environment of Corinth, that there were uh, many times in the public square, there were philosophers and sophists that were, they were speaking and they had all their disciples that were around them. And then their disciples, they'd be in other groups and, and they're like, well, this is, you know, they'd be spouting off what they know. And this is the teaching of so-and-so. And it, it but, I think that we all have a tendency to do that. I think Christians, we struggle with this as well in, in a lot of ways. How, how about this one? Anybody ever heard of the purpose-driven life? Now, I want you to know, I'm not bashing any of these things because some of these things can be quite good. What I'm going to go with is that I think, and I hope that you'll see, is that even some of these things that are right and good might be too small. 
we've latched ourselves onto, we've hitched onto, ultimately not the thing we should be hitched onto. Now, at the heart, Stephen Um says this, patronage, patronage is our escapist fix. Now, I, I know, Stephen Um, come on, simple it down for us, please, buddy. I had to read this sentence like 10 times before I knew what he was saying. Patronage is our escapist fix to numb the suspicion and fear that there's something wrong with the world and that it might be us. Pause. You know what he's saying here? He's, he's trying to get, maybe the reason why we have this tendency to, to hitch onto, to latch onto something else, patronage, might be, we're trying to numb that sense, man, this, this world is messed up, is it not? But we don't want to think that we fall into the category that it might be us. And so we find our thing. And even the smaller things ultimately are attaching to things and we think this is the thing. And it will change everything. He goes on to say we're looking to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. I think he's absolutely right. I think we all do this to one degree or another. Now let's take a look at 1 Corinthians, and I think you will see that this issue, because it was a Corinthian issue, I think it's a Danville issue, I think it's a us issue. Let's take a look at this first part of 1 Corinthians, verse 10, chapter 1, verse 10. And as we look at our passage, I'm going to take a little bit of time as I go through to pick it apart, do a little commentary, but then we're going to, I think you're going to see where this issue ties in. Listen to how Paul starts off. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. And I start off thanks, with thanksgiving last week, but then he jumps in here. I appeal to you, brothers. Now, I'm going to pause because I want you to understand that this, this word appeal, um, some versions say exhort. It, it's a word that is sometimes translated encourage. It, these are loving terms, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ is he. I appeal to you. So what he's getting ready to say, he's not saying, get your act together. He's saying, I'm urging you. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. Do you see a lot of unifying words in there? Even that word appeal has some measure of unification in it. The word literally means, when it's, whether it's translated encouragement, exhort, or like in this case, appeal, it literally means to call alongside. So it's kind of that word, and we've, we've talked about this before at church. It's, it's that word that says, come on. And it, it's, it's like a right here kind of word. Like, I want to come beside me. Let's go this way. Come on. Come on. So even in this, there's a unifying thought behind how he's even appealing to them. Come on with me. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. This word agree here is two words put together that means, it literally means say the same words. Say the same things. It's the same words, logos, words. I appeal to you that you're all in agreement. You're saying the same things, he says, that there be no divisions. This word is, you'll actually recognize this Greek word, a schism. You ever heard that word before? This this word is used uh, in the Greek if you had a fishing net 
that started to tear. So it's not saying, uh, I urge you that there not be, there be no like separate, completely separate. But he, he's like, he's saying you guys are coming apart at the seams. Which makes so much sense with the next word where he says that you be united. That word be united could actually be translated that you be knit together. You're coming apart at the seams. I want you to be knit together. And then you have, again, of the same mind, same judgment. Uh, what was the word earlier that you agree meant same words, same mind, same judgment or opinion? So he's urging unity here. and He's using all kinds of words to pull them together. He goes into some more detail. How he knows this. This verse, by the way, lets Sosthenes off the hook for being the informant. Remember that last week with Sosthenes? He was from Corinth and now he's here. He says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. I love that he's still using these things. My brothers. Now, Chloe, Chloe is most likely some type of business person. And she probably had either, whether she was stationed in Corinth or she was stationed in Ephesus, she was most likely a business person that had people that were working for her that were doing trade. So Chloe's people, she's talking about, he's talking about people that were working for or associated with Chloe in such a way that maybe they had gone and they had come back and they were reporting, hey, we were just over there and now we're back here and we're telling you what's going on. So this is how Paul has this information. It's been reported that there's quarreling among you. What I mean is that each one of you says, okay, remember our patronage conversation earlier? See if you can see now how this ties in. For each one of you says, well, I follow Paul. So you got in the church of Corinth, the broader church across the city, you've got the Paul group, right? Well, we follow Paul. He's our man. I mean, man, he started this church. He's the one. And some are going, why well, follow Apollos? Remember Apollos? Remember that one sermon he gave, Apollos? But man, it was, man, it struck home. He nailed it. We're of the Apollos crowd. Some of you, I follow Cephas. Does anybody know who Cephas is? I know John probably does. You can't answer. Anybody know who Cephas is? Oh, you know him. Yes, it's Peter, right? Uh, so, so then you have a group here. Now, whether Peter had actually made it through Corinth by the, at this point, we don't know. But Peter, he was, I mean, he's pretty, that's a big name, isn't it? Well, we, even before there was Paul, who was there? Peter. I follow Peter. And then I love the very last group here. Can you see this group? <laughs> well, we follow Jesus. Can you almost say, you feel that, can't you? Now, before we go, understand, what's going to happen next is so interesting. Because you'd think, and I would think, and you would think, I mean, we read it and we can almost sense a little bit of pride there from that last group. But you would think that they would be the ones that are the right. You'd think that what Paul would say next is, well, we should all be with that group. He's not going to do that, which means that that group, they're going to get lumped in with everybody else. So even them saying, well, I follow Christ, there was still something off with that group as well. In fact, he says this as he begins to break down these groups. What's the very first group he addresses? The Christ group. 
Is Christ divided? So even that group, there's something off there. He says, was Paul, and then he addresses himself to make sure that nobody thinks, well, he's, he's right to say, well, I said, you should be of this group. What's he say next? Was Paul crucified for you? Uh, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I mean, Paul's like, did, did I go, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and of Paul? <laughs> no. In fact, he goes on further just to completely de-emphasize even that aspect of baptism because it would be easy for these groups to say, because you may remember way back even before Christ and there's John the Baptist, right? And people would say, I'm of John's baptism. Uh, Baptism was for them a way of identifying and associating yourself with something. And so Paul's going to do something next to really even say, it didn't make a lick of difference who dunked you. Listen to what he says next. I love this. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And then it, this is so human here. I, I did baptize. I can almost see him like, you know, he didn't have backspace, you know, so as they're, they're, they're writing it. And I think Paul had somebody that was doing the physical writing for him. It's like a little side note. Oh, and I did, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. He gets mentioned later in, Corinth, in the book of Corinthians. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. And you can almost, you can almost feel, so all those people that were maybe earlier saying, well, I was baptized by, I was baptized. And Paul comes like, I don't even know. I think I did this, maybe his household, but I don't know. You imagine, so all those people in Corinth that maybe had been spouting that off, not just in my, of the Paul group, but I was actually baptized by Paul. Or I'm not just of the Apollos group, but I was actually, Apollos himself baptized me. Paul just went, <laughs> didn't he? Who cares? That's, if you think that's something, you're missing something bigger. There's something bigger. He goes on further to say this, for Christ did not send me to baptize, gather the group, to create a fact. He didn't send me to do that, to enlist more in my following. He did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. This is going to be important as we try to unpack what this looks like. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, which would have been so important to these Corinthians. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, Let's try to unpack this a little bit, coming back to this phenomenon of patronage that the Corinthian church was obviously struggling with, but I wouldn't be surprised if maybe as we dig, and this is going to require something on your part to really start asking yourself some questions about yourself. Have you fallen into this? Have you latched onto something that maybe you didn't latch onto the thing that was big enough? Paul was not sent to gather a following to build a local body of believers. That's interesting. It's easy for pastors to think, now I'm going to be honest with you, I have given up this thought ages ago. Okay, But it's easy for pastors to start to attach some measure of success with the size of their church. Maybe it's providential today that we had so many people sick and we have such a small gathering. 
it used to bother me. I, I don't know if necessarily for bad or good, but it used to bug me when the, we had small numbers in here. I, I don't care anymore. Like God, God has brought whoever needs to be here today to be here. But it's easy for pastors even as you start, because you, 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 you think, as a pastor, you think, you're, 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 you believe, you hope, and I, I hope I'm presenting the truth and telling you what's right and telling you what's true and from the scriptures. But it's easy to start to think in the middle of that, that we're doing it right and everybody else is doing it wrong. And I'm of the Edgewood group. And not of that group. It goes a little bit bigger. I mean, I think that there's a lot. That, now, there, there are some, and we're going to talk about this Wednesday night a little bit more in depth. There are some denominations that have veered off of truth. And I don't want to ignore that. I'm telling you right now, there's Christians all across this town that go to all different, all sorts of buildings in this city today that love Jesus. And not a one of us should be bit like, I'm this or I'm this, or I'm this. There's something bigger. There's something bigger. In fact, I had to ask that question, then what is really big enough to unify all of us oddball human beings? Right? What's big enough to do that? What's actually large enough to accomplish the task that Paul is implying here, that we're all agreeing and saying the same words? The answer was what he preached. What did it say he preached? The gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel about? The cross of Christ. It's the exact opposite of a power play. Most factions, there's somebody that's, that's, that could be at the center of it working for a, a power play to gather more followers in that way. What did Christ do? And what is he pictured as? The one who went to the cross. The gospel is characterized by humility, sacrifice, love, obedience to the Father. These are the things that pull us together and ought to bind us. I was going to talk about what we ought not to be centered around. And I could throw out a big one right there. Ready for it? We talk about unity. In order to latch on to the big thing that God would have us to be unified, to be saying the same words, right? To be, have the same mind, to agree, to be knit back together. In order to do that, what needs to be crumbled? What did Paul crumble immediately? Those smaller followings. Let's destroy some things right now. Politics. I don't ever want to go to a church that is unified under one political banner. Right? That ought not to be the thing that defines us as Christians. How about causes, movements, anything that goes along with that? Those are all too small. But these things can display, and see, I was going to dwell on that for a little while, but it hit me this morning in the car ride over. 
I was talking to Charity before she got horribly ill and had to go home, that I'm like, what? And then talking with her, it dawned on me. Those things actually do display, though, what it looks like to latch onto the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Think about a cause, political party, sports group. What do people do when they latch on to things? You can help me out. This is going to be where I'm going to pause and let you throw it in. I'll give you some hints. Um, did you know that this speaker was coming to Champagne? I'm going to take a day off work. I'm going to make sure I'm there to hear that guy talk. You ever had somebody that they got a thing, and then one of their people from their thing is coming near? They go to great lengths to make sure that they're there, don't they? How about, I hope I don't step on any toes here. How about uh, the back of, say somebody has, somebody has a thing. What might you see on the back of their car? Bumper stickers, right? Please understand, I'm not bashing bumper stickers, okay? My wife has one that says, pugs, not drugs. So uh, she, I guess pugs are her, her that's her banner. Um, it, it, right? How about this? When, when you have latched onto something, you could probably tell me all sorts of things about it. You ever had a cause or a thing that you latched onto and Somebody asked you about it, and man, it just is like popping the cork. <laughs> and all of a sudden, man, oh, did you know? I mean, you could have been sitting there nice and quiet and pretty calm. Then you heard the key words from your thing come up, and suddenly you have sprung to life. Let me ask you a question. How is it that you know all those things about that cause that you're, you're spouting off about? How do you know? This is a question. How do you know those things? Study. How do you study? Research? Read it. You watch it. Talk to people about it. You find somebody else that knows something else about it. you didn't. And then you have long, extensive conversations about it. Is it a, a pastime? Or does it, the, the, the bigger and the more important the cause, doesn't it become more and more part of your forefront to where it's filling up every little spare moment you have? It can. Let's, let's carry this over. If What Paul is saying is that these things are too small, and that's what I believe he's saying. What, what is he steering us towards? The gospel. So now let me ask you this. And I'm going to, since we're using the word patronage, I'm going to throw this one up here. Now, this could mean like a different thing, but think of this patronize in the terms of like, you ever heard somebody say, I, I tend to patronize this particular establishment. Right, so like it means you frequent it, you go there quite often, you go to that store. So the word patronize. So, but you see the connection between patronize in that sense with patronage. So this is the the verb form of what we're talking about. What do you patronize? Where, what do you frequent? What do you invest in? Ask yourself this question, and I'm going to ask it, and then I'm pause. If you were to go to the people that know you the best. And you were to say, what are you known for? Ask yourself the question, what would they say? If you were to go to somebody that you know, you say, what, what's, you just go, go, maybe you can try it this week. Go to somebody, what's my thing? 
I think. What might they say? Ask yourself, maybe ask them. What's your thing? What are you known for? You could ask it this way. What do you talk about? Like, if you were to journal through your week the topics of your conversation when, when you were talking, what would those topics be? What do you invest your time into? You got a spare moment? Where's it go? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> spare moment? You're like, spare moment? What's that? <laughs> uh, I could ask you more specific questions. I could say, what do you read? You, you know, people that have a thing, they could probably tell you all the most important authors with their thing, right? Do you know, do you know all the most important authors? You, do you see where I'm going with this? Instead of me getting up here, and I was so tempted to just start destroying all these other little things that maybe you've latched onto as your thing. But instead, I want to use that... How about this? If somebody came to you and they said, this is my, where my patronage is at. This is what I patronize. And you, and you knew them. You're like, buddy, you went to one parade for that thing last year. And it was in your hometown. There was one one town over and it was too far for you to make it. I got to be honest, I don't think that's your thing. How many of us would carry that back over to Christianity, the gospel? Maybe somebody says, oh, the gospel's my thing. If you're frequenting the gospel in your life, rarely, is it really your thing? Mm-mm. So I think there's two questions we have to ask. What do you patronize? What do you actually, I mean, you may find, and uh, one of the aspects I want to talk about in more detail on Wednesday is that, that Christ group. Remember the Christ party that Paul was addressing? Because I think that where this can get confusing is when we've convinced ourselves that what we've latched ourselves onto is the biggest thing, but it's not. And I think that's exactly what that group was suffering from. They had taken what Christ was and brought him down to a style. We see that in our cities, don't we? How they pick their church is based on what style suits them. That ought not to be that way. It ought not to be that way. Christ is not brought down to a mere style. The gospel is so much more. But then we can ask ourselves the flip side to that question. We can say, well, what would it look like if the gospel is our thing? If it's not about just a fallen, but we, we've latched ourselves onto the preaching of the gospel, what would that look like? Maybe it's not a bumper sticker. Maybe it's who you are in your community. 
your job, your neighborhood, wherever you're at. Maybe it's who you are. What person are you to that community? Are you the beacon of the gospel? Is that what you are to those people? See, there's ways that we can show where our patronage is at by simply, and this is the thing about the gospel, by simply how you live. Now, what are some other things that you can do to begin if you really have the gospel as your thing? What are some other things that you could do? Now, think about when I was asking earlier, how do people know these things? What could you do that would demonstrate an allegiance to the gospel? Mm, that's a good one. Okay, so there's our number one. Be part of the church body. Part of. Um, that means that it's not just a, a non-participant, right? You're part of. It's going to be interesting when we get to chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. Paul's going to talk about um, the body of Christ as one. So this topic of unity carries through. He's talking about the body of Christ as one. He says we're many members but one body. So there's a, a unity in Christ, even though we're all different. We all bring something different to the table. We, we're, so when Paul says that you have the same mind and the same opinions, right, and the same, the same judgment and the, the same words, it doesn't mean we all come in robots. There, there's a diversity and this is why I say the gospel is the only thing big enough to unify humanity. Christ was, quote, torn, divided, crucified on the cross. That division between God and us, he satisfied by allowing himself to be divided, to mend. What did he mend? That relationship brought us back to be one with the Father. And that oneness with the Father is meant to be, become then a oneness with all of us. But yet you see, even amongst Christians, us aligning ourselves under our small things. So what's the only thing that's big enough to unify us? It's the gospel. In God's kind of church, there should be a variety of other things that can be there. You might have your causes. You might have your things. You might have this stuff here and this stuff here. And obviously, I'm not talking about things that are wrong. But there ought to be a diversity that we're all unified under the gospel. What are some other things you can do? That was a good one. What are some other things you can do to, to demonstrate a patronage, that you're going to patronize the gospel? What, what are some other things you can do? Study and read the Bible. That's huge. What's interesting about that is that if somebody is truly devoted to something, is somebody having to come along and say, you need to read about this? Now, I'll throw a weird one out there. Anybody ever met a flat earther? A flat earther. Oh, is it good? I'm so glad. Uh, there are people that believe the earth is not a globe, it's, a, it's flat, okay? It's, it's, yeah, flat earther. They, and they have these things. Now, and you know what they do? Man, they're gathering their evidence. They're trying to, I mean, it's, okay. 
But here's the thing. You don't have to. Somebody that is into a thing like that, as weird as that might be, nobody has to go along to them and say, you need to do some research. Oh, man, I don't want to, but I guess I got to do my daily research on flat earth. Is that how they are? No. How about this one? Let's go politics again. If somebody is really latched on to one particular political party, do, do they have to force themselves to, to, to do some research on their topic? Oh, I got to do some reading on Trump. <laughs> if they're really a Trump supporter, are they doing that? That's not what it's like, is it? So that also means if me getting up here saying, you need to read your Bible more, study more. If that is a chore to you, have you really latched on to the gospel? Oh. See, because once it happens, well, what do you do naturally as a human being? When you've latched yourself, you're looking it up. You're, you're wanting to find out more about it. You want to, you're reading about it. You're studying. You're watching more about it. And this is why you see some people who've really latched onto the gospel. When they have a spare moment, what do they do? Uh, let's pull up a sermon I can listen to. Let's read this. Or, oh, I have a spare minute here. And, and they're doing these things. Or they got stuff going in the background that they can, they're just filling up their mind. Why? Because somebody's making them? No. Because that's become their thing. So how do, we, how do you fix that? Because if you're sitting here today going, I know I need to read my Bible more, and you're still getting up in the morning going, i got to read my Bible, and you're, I know I'm supposed to do this. The, the deeper heart issue may be that you have to recognize, I may not have latched myself onto this yet. It's not my thing. I believe that when those moments happen and you realize that, it drives a falling on your knees sort of moment. God, save me. Save me from all these little things and let me be latched onto you. Save me from all these other things that I could be investing my time and my energy in and let it just only be you. If you're sitting here right now and that, that's already started to happen, maybe you're even thinking, man, that's me when I get up and I try to read my Bible. It feels like such a chore. I want to encourage you that maybe what needs to happen today before you leave this building is a real straight heart-to-heart -heart moment with God. And maybe what you might have to say to God this morning is, God, I don't know if you're big enough me to put all my eggs in that basket. If you are God, help me to see that. Help me to believe it. See, because you cannot force a thing onto someone. I can't make you. You can't even make yourself. But who's the changer of hearts? God. Through the power of Christ and the cross, he he died, right, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The changer of hearts is God himself. Now, I'm going to have the guys come up here in just a second. Um, I'm going to see how I just shifted right into this here. Uh, I'm going to have the guys come up here in just a second. 
And one of the things that this can be beneficial to do is, is about remembrance, is it not? You know, Paul says, do this and remember, Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. So one of the things you can do is you're, you're partaking this today, right? You're gonna, they're going to distribute the cup, and you're going to have that little cup, the little double cup, and you're going to get that bread and that, that cup out. You're going to be sitting there, and you're going to have about you know, 30 seconds to a minute of just sitting there for a minute before I lead you through the rest. I want to encourage you to let that be your opportunity to say to God, God, are you big enough for me to put everything on you? Or maybe for you it's going to be, God, you haven't been. Change me. Change my heart. Inside out, change me. I so easily grab on to every other cause imaginable. As good as they may be, I latch on so quickly. The newest fad comes along and I'm there and I start studying. Lord, I don't want to be latched onto something that's not going to go the distance. In my head, I picture myself as a trailer. And what am I hooked on to? If you want the RV to make it all the way to the campground, you're not going to latch it onto my pickup truck. I'll tell you that right now. It wouldn't make it, would it? You want to latch onto what's going to last and take you the distance. And you will only find that in the gospel message. That's the only thing big enough. So maybe in those moments you'll have to say that, Lord. I've been latching on to every other thing imaginable. As good as those things were, they're not going to last. In fact, the last one I was latched on to didn't last more than three weeks, and I was on to something new. I don't want to spend my whole life, Lord, latching on to different things here and there for the rest of my life. Well, let me get on to the big thing to make it to the end. I'm going to have the guys come up, and then I'm going to pray. And then they're going to distribute, and then I'll lead you through the rest. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, and I thank you that this Corinthian church was struggling with the same things we struggle with. Lord, I know that there are many in this room, including myself, that have latched on to different things again and again, the newest author, the newest fad, the newest speaker, the newest whatever. None of them have lasted Lord, I pray that today would be a changing moment for all of us. That we might be one people united under Christ and the gospel message. And let that be our thing. I pray now that you bless this bread and this cup. Lord, as we hold them in our hands, help us to remember you and all that you've done to accomplish this unifying with the Father so that we might be unified with each other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.